This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, Typically, I I bring you a message that I've done at home, uh, and sometimes other places as well, and and, uh, so it's kind of polished in my heart and polished in my mind. Today, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Brand new message today, never preached it before, uh, and uh, we're going to give birth to a message. I feel like we're family, so I can give birth in front of you, and uh, we're praying that it's not breach and that it comes out and accomplishes all that the Lord wants us to uh, accomplish, and I want to begin with uh, three words that when these appear on a Christmas present, uh, in, in the heart of a parent... Uh, especially those of us who have ADD, they strike fear in our hearts. And, and those words are some assembly required. And uh, some of you love uh, gathering all the pieces and, and figuring out how to put it all together and taking your time and walking the process. We don't, we don't like you. And, uh, uh, but man, some of you even read the directions. Like I, I, I would never even consider uh, reading. How many of you just confessed today? You would read the directions. And, and uh, yeah, a lot of you actually... What a weird church you are today. And, and, uh, but, but, but those of us who have AD, it's not that we can't figure it out. It's not that we can't read. I'll look at the pictures periodically. It's that we're too impatient, right? And, and, and that we don't want to take the time to do it. We also know from experience that it's not going to go the way that, that it's supposed to go. And that it, we're going to get done. There'll be one, two, three pieces left over. We have no idea where they go in, in the process. And, and we just hand it to the kid and say, play with it. And they're like, it's broken. And, and, and we've experienced that, right? In life, it's very similar to that sometimes, right? That it, it's not that we're afraid of the work that goes into life as much as we are worried that there's something missing. Or as much as it is uh, that, that we're worried that there are parts of us we know in our hearts that are just broken. And no one wants to be broken. But, but here's the good news as we walk into the Christmas season is God came to fix the broken. And Christmas, uh, whatever else it is, it is all about God coming to fix those parts in us that are broken, those parts in us that don't fit, th- those parts in us that uh, are out of place. And uh, next week, you guys are launching, Ted is launching you into a Christmas series through the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, which is the most familiar uh, passage in, in Christmas. But there's a whole bunch of things uh, that, that unless you have really studied it and really paid attention, that uh, you, you've missed, and, and I'm looking forward. In fact, I saw the outline yesterday uh, for your series that's coming. I look forward to following along uh, with you online. But what I want to do today is just sort of set the context for the series that's going to begin next week in, in, in Luke 2. And, and, and Luke has, uh, a, a, in terms of complications, a little bit complicated. It's a little bit uncomfortable, right? Mary and Joseph have to travel when she's nine months pregnant uh, across the country, and, and she has to lay the baby in a manger because there's no other room. Uh, and, and so there's some confusing parts. Why are the shepherds there? And, and in terms of drama, there's a little bit of drama, uh, but, but you back up a few gospels into Matthew, uh, in terms of drama, it's a whole other story. Like it's, it's crazy dramatic. And uh, Luke is told from Mary's perspective. Matthew is told from Joseph's 
uh, perspective. And, and, and Matthew, as you know, if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. In, in Matthew chapter 1, he begins with all the genealogy, right? The begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, or is the father of, is the father of, is the son of, is the son of. And, and typically we skip all of that because we can't pronounce 90% of it, right? It's like reading the instructions when you put something required uh, uh, together or, you know, assembly required. But, but, but there's a lot of truth in that genealogy. And, and the conclusion of that genealogy is, is two things, that Jesus is related to Abraham and Jesus is related to David because every Jewish person knew that the Messiah had to be related to Abraham and the Messiah had to be related to David. But then you get to verse 18. And we find out that he's not only related to Abraham, and he's not only related to David, but he's actually related to God, and he is, in fact, the Son of God. And you get to this story in Matthew where this young couple is engaged. Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph, and she becomes pregnant and has to go tell her fiancé that she's pregnant. And now the drama begins, and that's just the beginning uh, of the drama. And before I dive in and kind of go verse by verse through this text with you, I, I, I want to just let you into uh, this beautiful mind of mine. And, and uh, when, I, when I say that, I, I, I like it is like a mind map. And, and there are strings and, and things drawn. And, and you've seen movies where a serial killer, you know, is kind of like they're working on it. That's what happens in my brain. I'm not a serial killer, never will be a serial killer. But, but, but I, I, I do think through things in mind maps and I draw lines all the time. And so I found it helpful for those who are ADD, for those who are in a younger generation have grown up visually, to share periodically, kind of pull the curtain back into my own uh, Bible reading. And here's the truth. When I was a child, my comprehension was so below average that my dad, well, uh, I don't know if he bribed the teachers or what, but first grade through fifth grade, I stayed after school every day and, and had private tutoring. And, and, and one of my teachers would stay with me. I would listen to a story on cassette tape or record player, that date me, and, and, and then had to answer questions about the story I had just listened to because we, they were trying to improve my comprehension. Now, here's because of that struggle that I've had my whole life in, in being ADD and being uh, low comprehension, uh, it brings with it some challenges into the Word of God and reading the Word of God, which have quite honestly proven to be great strengths for me uh, to teach the Word of God because I have to be so diligent to work through it. And so I'm just going to show you a little bit. At my church, uh, we, we bought a TV like this where I draw on it all the time. And so I draw on the Scripture and show people how I mark up the Scripture. And it's not for everybody, but it is for some people, and it's proven to be helpful. So I, I, I want to uh, just show you this verse, and, and this is how I would do it. The birth of Jesus the Messiah, I would write in my Bible right there and draw a, like a beautiful shape around it, Christmas. Th th this is about Christmas, right? This is the birth of Jesus the Messiah. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Now, I preloaded some color in here, but, but what I did is start highlighting in, in my Bible, and I ended up making two lists. And, and I, in fact, I encourage you to do this. Pay attention <clears throat> to the repetition in the Bible. When the Bible writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to repeat himself, it is not because they can't move on. It is because they are trying to make a very clear point. And in this little scripture, I made a list of four things and four things that mirror one another. And I'll show you the list here in just a second. But I highlighted one list in red and one list in green and numbered them. And I want you just to see that, okay? But, but uh, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. 
This is a one right here. You can't see it on the screen. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin. Okay, so this is number one. And I'm going to show you what list I put that under. In fact, here's the list. Not Joseph. Yes, Holy Spirit. Okay, so this writer is trying to make this point, these two points, very clear. Joseph's not the father. The Holy Spirit is the father. This is number one on Joseph is not the father, right? She's still a virgin. They haven't been together. Number one under Holy Spirit, it's very clear. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. But before, here's my list, okay? So you just see it. Joseph, no. Holy Spirit, yes. You say, that's really how this pastor does this? It's exactly how I do it. And it's how I make the scripture make sense to me so that I can try to make it make sense for you, right? So, so, so next verse. Here we go. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. So it's not Joseph. He's righteous, right? means right standing with God. So premarital sex was not a part of Joseph's habit and, and Joseph's lifestyle. And, and so that's number two on the list of not Joseph, right? And did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Next verse. And as he considered this, an angel, now we have heavenly beings coming into the story, right? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Because she hasn't cheated on you, right? Joseph, you were not the one. You were not with her. So you're not the father. Number two in the green is for within her, uh, the child within her was conceived, say it, by the Holy Spirit, okay? Let's keep reading. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Yeshua or Jesus. Yeshua means, I know the Hebrew, means Yahweh saves. That's what the name means. So this means he's from God. He is God. This is God, Yahweh's plan to save his people. So the Holy Spirit is the one involved. For he will save his people from their sins. Not from Rome, but from their sins. Why? Because this is God and what he is doing. Uh, Verse uh, 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Now we have prophets, uh, the Old Testament prophets speaking into this birth about this baby. And it's not just the birth. In fact, we're not even really talking about the birth. In Matthew, we're talking about the conception. So, so it's not all about the virgin birth in Matthew. It's all about the divine conception. Okay, so ne- next uh, verse. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him, say it. Which means what? Right? This is the prophecy, by the way. Remember they just mentioned this came from a prophet? He lists the prophet. It's Isaiah 7 for inquiring minds. Isaiah 7, dual fulfillment of Isaiah 7. And the the final conclusion of this fulfillment is in the person of Jesus Christ. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Now let me show you the, the last one here. But he did not have sexual relations with her until after the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now let me show you the conclusion of this chart. I wish I could have shown you as we went, but, but here it is, okay? This is very clear in Scripture. When you look at it, you outline it, and you make it make sense to you visually. It's not Joseph. Why? Because before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, the, the uh, baby was conceived. He was a righteous man. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for you're not the father. But he did not have sexual relationships with her until after the baby was born. Holy Spirit, yes, it's so clear in Scripture, right? This is the point of this text. She became pregnant through the power of the, say it, Holy Spirit. For the child within her was conceived by the, say it, Holy Spirit. Jesus is his name, which means Yeshua saves. Yahweh saves, right? Verse 4, or number 4, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his 
prophet. Now, let's back up and read this thing. But I wanted to show you an overview of what I would do with that text when I sit down to read it and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to your church? What is it that you want us to hear? Now, let's back up and walk through it. Verse 18, okay? This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before, say before. The marriage took place while she was still a virgin. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that last phrase, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's power in that phrase, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, as we said, that's the key to this whole text, the important part. It makes all the difference in the world because it proves not only that Mary did not cheat on Joseph, uh, it, it proves something bigger than that, that Jesus is actually the Son of God. In fact, is God. That, that Jesus didn't uh, come by a conventional conception. He, he wasn't just conceived like every other baby in, in, the, in the whole world, in the history of the world. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He, he wasn't a kid just like any other kid. And then God, in a lineup of kids, picked one and said, I choose that one. That's not how it played out. In fact, the Bible tells us that God chose this beforehand, but long before Mary even came on the scene, that this was God's plan from the beginning to send the Holy Spirit to conceive this baby, Mary, uh, in Mary, the Messiah in her, and to birth a person who would be fully God and fully man. That, that he would uh, then become the great high priest and that he would live a sinless life, that he would die a substitutionary <clears throat> death and he would serve as the first fruit of the resurrection. And it all hinges on this one thing, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Let, let, let's keep reading. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. Say righteous. Right standing with God, right? And did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Now, there's a lot going on in this verse. And you may not see it if you don't pay attention. I know a little bit about the Middle Eastern culture, but it's not because I understand Middle Eastern culture. It's because I've actually studied this uh, text and looked at it over and over and over again. And, and I don't understand all there is to understand about ancient marriages and first century Middle Eastern marriages, but I understand a little bit more than I did because I've spent some time uh, looking at it in this context, in our context today. If your daughter, your unmarried daughter, comes home and says, hey, mom and dad, I'm pregnant, it's going to be a shocker, Right? If your unmarried son comes home and says, hey, mom and dad, that girl that I'm dating, she's pregnant. It's going to be a shocker. And it probably will be some tough days in, in, in your household and in your family. But it's not going to be the end of the world. And some of you have walked through that. And not only did you find out it's not the end of the world, some of you found out it actually was a blessing that once you met the baby that there was something good that came out of this uh, trouble in, in your life, right? But, but in that context, this was a big stinking deal. It was the end. But, but because, first of all, you couldn't hide it and you couldn't elope. Uh, and hope that the pregnancy was a long one, right? And, and that uh, you could get married and kind of play with the math and hope that nobody else played with the math and, and, and figured it out. But, but, but there, there's when a long, long time, right? So you're not covering it up. But secondly, <clears throat> to be pregnant out of wedlock in that day equaled major shame. And it would not only bring shame on the girl, it would bring shame on the family uh, of the girl. In fact, it meant probably financial ruin for them for for Joseph, it also meant shame uh, for him as well. He would be expected to divorce her. 
And you, you say, what do you mean divorce or they're just engaged? An engagement was different than it is today. An engagement was much like a marriage in that day. And the only way you broke off an engagement was through an official divorce. And if you became officially divorced, it meant that you could never, ever marry the rest of your life. So the context is unbelievable. And so all of that is going on. Broken promises, broken engagements, broken dreams, broken hearts. And for Joseph, everything is broken right now. <clears throat> His life is flipped upside down, and he has no idea what to do. Now, now look at this again. Joseph was a righteous man, and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. He was a good man. He was an honorable man. He didn't want to put her to shame uh, publicly. Uh, by the way, it was the rule of the day. That if your fiance cheats on you, it's your obligation to make it public. It's your role to publicly shame uh, them. And Joseph said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put shame on her. So he decided to break off the engagement quietly is what the text said. Joseph said, my heart is broken, but this brokenness is going to stop here. I, I'm going to break it off quietly. No public shame, no financial ruin. He was not going to get revenge. Why? Because he was righteous. Now, you have to think about what, what does that mean? Because he had the right to do what, what he was pondering doing or, or what he was expected to do uh, according to the law and according to society. He could have put it all on her shoulders, but instead he said, I will take this on my own back. And I've wondered every time I've read this and studied this at this time of year, what was it about him that was so different that caused him to go that path? That he was righteous, that, that, that even though he was going through so much, even though he was brokenhearted, e even though he was the one who had broken dreams, no picket fence, no home sweet home, no growing old together on the Cracker Barrel chair on the porch, right? That, that, that's not going to play out for him. It was all over, and he said, I'm not going to take it out on, on Mary. Now, what made him so special, and what was it that made him so righteous? And the only explanation I can come up with is he was planted in the Word of God. That the word of God was, was not just uh, in his mind, but it was in his heart. And it was not just in his mind and in his heart. It was on the tip of his tongue that he had an it is written for moments like that. By the way, that's the way we defend ourselves against the enemy. It's the way we come against the attacks of the enemy is with an it is written. You need to put the scripture in your heart and in your mind and in your mouth so that it's on the tip of your tongue in a moment. And I don't know exactly which scriptures he, he uh, called upon and, and recited in those moments, but, but I think I have figured out one of them. And uh, he knew God would take care of him. He had to understand that. He had to understand that God was close to the brokenhearted. And so I think he held on to a promise uh, from the Psalms. I think he held on to a promise from a Psalm of David. Remember, this is Joseph. He's, he's in the bloodline. This is not just King David. This is relative David. Look, look, look at this Psalm in Psalm 34. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. Some of you need to underline that in your Bible and write that one down. Because it's fact. There's a question mark at the end of this. He hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close. Say close. 
He's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And and, and I've been studying this psalm this last few days, trying to think, how do I make this memorable and portable and and, and where it walks out of here in your heart and in your mind, the truth from this psalm that God is close to the brokenhearted. And it's not just when something breaks your heart, it's when something feels broken or anything gets you off track. And, and, And so here's the phrase that I've come up with, and I hope it makes it memorable for you. When life gets crazy, God gets close. When life gets crazy, God gets close. And here's the lesson I want you to get today. When when things go crazy, when things go sideways, and they will, when life throws you a curveball, there will be times where the pieces don't fit. There will be times where there's a piece left over. There will be piece, times when you shake the box and it feels like there's nothing in there. You, there are times that you will feel broken. Remember in those moments, in all of those moments for the rest of your life, God is close to you. In fact, he's probably closer than he's ever been. A crazy life is an indication of the closeness of God. And when you get that call at 2 a.m. that you never thought you would get, when when, when you have a tough conversation uh, at work, when the market takes a plunge, but only in your sector, right? Or or, or when the mail comes and you get bad news or the balance of your account is larger than the balance of your bills, those things should be like an alarm clock going off, uh, indicating the proximity of the only one who can actually help you. He's close. In that moment. That's the promise of Scripture. He's close in those moments. You're always on God's heart. He's always paying attention, but He seems to draw Himself near to those who are brokenhearted. And when we are brokenhearted, the temptation is to think no one understands us. No one gets this. No one knows what's going on. No one has been through what I'm walking through at this moment. We feel so alone in those moments, but the truth is God is watching, God is listening, and he cares about you and he understands you. The, the Bible tells us in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 that Jesus understands because he went through it. Verse 15 says, Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same things we do. He gets our broken heart because he was broken hearted. He gets our frustration because he was frustrated. He gets our feelings of weakness because he felt weak too. And in those moments, if in those moments we would only turn to him, we would hear the wah, 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 the alarm going off, the proximity alert sounding that, that God is close. And he is now near, and he's breaking into your world at that very moment to rescue us. Go back to the psalm real quick and look at it again. In psalm, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. You could circle that word in your Bible, troubles. That's the same Hebrew word uh, for, for the English word evil. It's not just trouble, like you and I would translate that word into English. It's, it's evil. And sometimes there's evil behind your troubles. You you want a phrase to understand this theology? Good God, bad devil. Man, when life throws me a curveball, I I recite that one on a regular basis. Good God, bad devil. He can't help but be good. It's all he is is good. But there is evil in this world. But he's not the author of it. 
And so when evil comes, sometimes you need to understand there's a sinister one behind your problems. You, you have an enemy that's come to only come to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not come for any other reason. Only is what the scripture says, to kill, steal, and destroy. Don't, don't just discount that and throw your hands up and go, well, that's just life. No, it may be bigger than life. It may be a real enemy who has come to destroy you. But here's the good news. The Lord can rescue you from that enemy. And, and how are we rescued? This is so important because this, this is what ties this whole thing together. Your rescue comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. It's Jesus. The, the name Jesus, I told you a moment ago, means what? Yahweh saves. Yeshua. Yahweh saves. He, he saves, and he saves us from our troubles, from our problems, from the evil one. And when you feel brokenhearted, that's an indication that something is wrong, but it is also a very clear sign that God is near, and he will save you. Now, now let me just switch gears a bit, okay? What I've done is just set the context for you here. Now, now let's just switch gears and get real pragmatic into our own lives, into what we're dealing with, into what we're walking through. Because God will save you from your troubles, right? But if he's omnipotent and omniscient and, and, and uh, omnipresent, right? Think about those things for a moment. If you, if you ever need hope, think about those three words. He, he's, he's omnipresent. Do you know what that means? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. You know what that means? Omniscience. It means he has all knowledge. Sometimes people say, well, we need to believe science. We do need to believe science. But some science that we call science is not science. It's wrong. He's the founder of science. He's the founder of all knowledge. You say, well, it disagrees with him. Well, then it's not right. He has all knowledge of everything of all times. You, you, well, that should give you some confidence in him. You say, well, I don't understand what he's telling me to do. Okay, is he all knowledgeable? Then let's trust him. Let's worship him, right? Omnipotent, omnipotent. Potent means power. He has all of the power. Sometimes people say, well, I feel like God's asking me to give this, and it's going to be very sacrificial, and I don't know what my future is going to hold if I give this away. What, what, what is that going to I, Is he all-knowing? Yes. Is he all-powerful? Yes. Does he have all the resources at his disposal? Yes. You just trust him. You, you, you just trust him. But, but the question, if we're inquiring minds, and if we're really honest, would say is, well, if he's so powerful and he's so all-knowing and he's infinite and he's all places, why doesn't he rescue me before the troubles come? See, that's a good question, right? That question's in my Bible. Where I was reading it one day and just wrote it down. If he's so powerful and he's so good and he's so strong and he's so mighty and there's nothing my God cannot do, then why on earth does he not rescue me before my troubles? Now, now here's the question that the Holy Spirit posed to me when I wrote that in the Bible. What if, Alex, your troubles and your brokenness and your broken dreams and your brokenhearted condition is a chance for others to be rescued? What, what, what if... The light momentary affliction you're going through, Alex, means somebody else gets to say, be saved from their troubles. It's exactly what Matthew indicates in, in, in this story. Go, go, go back to verse 20. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. Remember, that's his relative, Joseph, son of David. 
the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and she will have a son. Now say she. In fact, circle this in your Bible because you need to see the indication of the progression here of these pronouns. She will have a son. Say she. And you, say you. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people. Say his people. Are you following along? That she will have a son, you're to name him, and he will save his people from all of their sin. Again, not from Rome, but from sin. Mary is pregnant. Mary will have the son. And Joseph, you're to name him, and you are to raise him. And part of that role will be taking on the shame and the disgrace of that culture, raising a son who's not biologically your son. He will have to put his dreams on hold, his plans on hold, so that he can help raise the Messiah. She will have a son, you will name him Jesus, and the third party in this is his people. She will have a son, you're to name him Jesus, and his people will be saved. You and Mary are going to go through this, but it will mean the salvation for all who follow God throughout the future of all of the world. And Joseph's brokenness, listen, was not the major intent of God's authoring here, but it was a part of what he authorized. His brokenness was used by God for the good of others. That's the key. It helped someone else. It was a Christmas gift in the very real sense of the word Christmas gift. And it, that's how God operates. And that's his M.O., that he uses our troubles and our weaknesses and our problems and our powerlessness for the benefit of other people. You went through a messy divorce, now you can help somebody avoid that. You went through a messy divorce, now you can coach somebody who's, who's walking through that. You got a cancer diagnosis and sat in a chair receiving chemotherapy round after round. Now you can be there with somebody who's going through that round after round, and you can pray for them, and you can speak in faith over them. You lost a business, now you can coach someone on how not to lose a business. This plays out in an infinite item uh, of illustrations and ways in this world, but, but there's no other way to explain it other than this is how God works. And you may not love it, but what Christmas is all about is that, that God came to fix the broken. And, and sometimes he comes, and in fixing the broken, he fixes other people in the process. It's how he laid it out. Remember he said, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's prophecy. Look at what it says. Look, uh, next verse. Uh, look, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, now I want you to see this because there's, this is where the theology is found in this. And, and you back up a couple of verses, and you see that Joseph is scared. He's terrified. We know that because the angel says, do not be afraid. And, and, and the angel... The, said the baby that she is carrying is conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's the theology in this whole thing. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Now, by the way, this is the notes from my Bible. You call him Jesus, they'll call him Emmanuel. What? Because it seems to contradict itself, doesn't it? But by the way, the answer to this is there. You just have to read it again. You, Joseph, will call him Jesus. They will call him Emmanuel. And you say, well, which is it? Yes. 
Yeshua saves and, and God is with us. You say, well, that's confusing. Okay, let, let me confuse you even more. A few weeks ago, we were studying Colossians, and I just was preaching and thinking and pondering on the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That all things are by him, for him, in him, and through him, and all things are held together by him. That the preeminence of Jesus is the theme through that book of Colossians that I just spent five weeks preaching through in my church. And one day in my quiet time, as I'm preaching this text, I, I, I just begin to think about the preeminence of Jesus, and I just started writing down names. And I know there's more. This is not an exhaustive list. But, but in that moment, I wrote down 57 names for Yeshua Emmanuel. And I just want to read this list to you. And while I read this list to you, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to take his word and for it to birth within you courage. I don't know what name you need today. It may not be Yeshua saves because you're already saved. It may not be Emmanuel, God with us, because you already know God is with you. But, but there is a name given to the Son of God, the person of Jesus Christ, that is relevant to your situation today because that's God's MO. L listen to who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's the Word of God. He's the Son of Man and the second Adam. He's the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. He's the angel of the Lord, the seed of Abraham and Jacob's ladder. He is the Lion of Judah, the root of Jesse, the son of David, Emmanuel, God with us the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, and the Mighty God. He's the Prophet. He's the High Priest from the Order of Melchizedek. He is our Passover Lamb. He is our Messiah, the Anointed One, our Savior, and the Light of the World. He's the Bread of Life. He's the Giver of Living Water. And He's the Rock of our Salvation. I I'm not done. He is the Healer. He is the Redeemer. He's the Sanctifier. He is your Intercessor, your Advocate, your Mediator, and your Mystery. He's the Gate. He's the Shepherd. He's the Vine. He's the Resurrection and the Life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the narrow path, the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn from the dead, the bridegroom, the head of the body, the church, the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of the nature of the Father. He's the author and the perfecter of faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And all things have been created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And there will come a day when the trumpet will sound, and the Lord will descend, and all things in heaven and on the earth and under the earth will bow before Him. For God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen and amen. Would you stand and let me pray over you today? If you're here today and none of those made sense to you, none of those are relevant to you, then you are here today because God wants to save you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't just want to be God with us. He wants to be God with you. And he drew you into this place so that you could have a relationship with him and that today could be the day of salvation for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to lead you in a prayer, helping you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
I'm going to ask those who are already believers to pray out loud with me as an encouragement to you so that no one will pray alone. But today, if you want to trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior, would you repeat after me out loud? Would you say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord. You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. I receive you. And I receive salvation. If you just prayed that prayer and for the first time in your life you meant business, can I I say to you, congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. Today, when everybody else is exiting this worship center, uh, the the prayer team is going to be here. In fact, prayer team, come now, if you would. And and they're just going to be standing here across the front. They'll have lanyards on that identify them as to who they are. But but you just come tell them, I I prayed that prayer, and they'll help you. They'll encourage you in your new walk with Jesus Christ. You you may already be a believer, but you need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to be Jesus with skin on today in, in, in this place. And so they would love to do that for you. They would love to say a word of encouragement, a handshake, a high five, a hug. They, 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 they want to just pray over you and, and help you find a path forward where you feel like there may not be a path forward. God, I pray your blessings on this church and on your kids over all of your people. As we begin this Advent season, would you make us know, feel, experience, and understand God with us, Emmanuel. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen.